Welcome to Mindful Empowerment. I'm your host, Dr. Mary Elizabeth, and today we're very excited to have us with us Dr. Will Cole. Dr. Will Cole is a leading functional medicine expert. He consults with people around the world via webcam as well as locally in Pittsburgh. Dr. Cole specializes in clinically investigating underlying factors of chronic disease and customizing health programs for thyroid issues, autoimmune conditions, hormone dysfunctions, digestive disorders, and brain problems. Thank you so much for taking time out of your busy schedule, Dr. Cole, and being here today. My goodness. Thanks for having me. I'm really excited to talk with you. Awesome. Thanks. And I know we want to um, talk about your new book um, that is coming out, Intuitive Fasting. And that's something I like talking about a lot too, is fasting. Um, Maybe first for people who aren't familiar with you yet, um, I'd love to just hear a little bit about your background. And I know you have a doctor of chiropractic degree, um, the doctorate of natural medicine, as well as you're a functional medicine practitioner. Um, What got you into um, natural health and on that path? Yeah, so it's always been a passion of mine. So I grew up in a home uh, that was interested in health and wellness. And we're talking about the 80s and 90s. We were drinking weird adaptogenic tonics and raw goat's milk and organic crunchy things. And so that I knew really early on the impact that food could have and what was out there. And it was just on my awareness uh, at growing up. So then that evolved from just doing something at home as a kid to I was really interested in this as a, a young adult. So I went to school to learn about this formally and be trained in this at Southern California University of Health Sciences. Uh, where there's MDs and DCs and acupuncturists and oriental medicine doctors and uh, nurse practitioners all there doing their different uh, modalities and learning it and being and teaching it. Um, so then that from there, it evolved to functional medicine specifically. And uh, I graduated knowing I would be writing about this stuff and I'm super passionate about it. And um, so we started and launched one of the first functional medicine telehealth centers in the world over 12 years ago. So my day job for the past 12 years has been from 8 a.m. to 6 (laughs) p.m. consulting people via webcam before. I mean, obviously now it's like more of a necessity for people, but it's this way that I've always practiced is virtually. And um, it's really been an honor. It's an honor to be a part of people's health journey. It keeps me sharp and on, you know, as far as the latest research and the latest application of this stuff, it's all I think about. It's, I'm really immersed in it. Um, so that's really where it came from, a personal passion, training, and a calling, really, in my opinion. So it's and all the stuff that I write about, like the books are just natural extensions of my clinical experience or just natural extensions of my focus with my patients, because these are the things I talk about with my patients 10 hours a day. So like my first book, Ketotarian, it's a mostly plant-based, clean ketogenic diet. It's because that's tools that I've used for a long time in my personal life for decades, as well as with patients. Inflammation Spectrum, second book, it's all the stuff I talk about with my patients as far as labs and figuring out these issues for my patients. And then the, uh, my third book, my upcoming book is intuitive fasting because again, these, these are tools that I use for a long time. So it's, it's, these are all passion projects of mine. And, and I just um, super humbled to be a part of people's health journey. Awesome. And I know you help out a lot of people using, you know, those, those methods. And mm-hmm. even though functional medicine has been around a little bit, I think, you know, there's still some people who might say, like, what is what is that? How do you mm-hmm. describe functional medicine to people? 
Well, another word for it is systems medicine or integrative medicine. And if I had to compare and contrast the main differences between functional medicine and, and mainstream medicine, number one, we interpret labs using a thinner reference range. So anybody that's listening will know they'll get their Quest or LabCorp or their doctor's lab and they'll have their number and then they'll have this reference range that they're being compared to, this X to Y interval. Well, we get that number from a, that reference range from a statistical bell curve average of the population of that specific lab. So if you go to another lab, you'll probably see that reference range will vary slightly from lab to lab. It's not standardized. I mean, there's a few exceptions to that, but for the most part, they're just looking at averages. Now we have to ask the question, who are the people that are typically going to the lab that are making up that average? Uh, it's people with health problems. So, and normally those numbers are, there's huge ranges for them too. So it is, um, there's a lot of physiological individuality amongst that range uh, spectrum. Uh, and that's why second book, when I called it the inflammation spectrum, it's really that it's this continuum of health to health problems and understanding the nuances and the pieces of the puzzle of why people are struggling. So in functional medicine, we're not just looking at the average. I mean, a lot of people are told, you're fine. There's nothing wrong with you. You're just depressed. Here's an antidepressant, or you're just getting older. You're just a new mom. You're just a little stressed, or they completely de delegitimize them and you know tell them they're a hypochondriac. So just because something's common doesn't necessarily mean it's normal. And comparing yourself to people with health problems as a metric for you to see how you can feel great is not a good way to go about things. And many people fall through the cracks of that approach because it's black or white. And it's like, if you're not outside of the range, there's really nothing for you. Or you're labeled with depression, which anybody that's not feeling well is going to feel a little bit depressed. So um, the, and then that's a larger, I guess, puzzle or a question of what is mental health issues, which I guess we could talk about too, but that, that, um, we're looking at a tighter range within that larger reference range, the functional range where your body is functioning the best, where does vibrant wellness resides that's within this functional range, which is typically a thinner range within the lab's conventional reference range. So we're comparing you to optimal health basically on labs uh, for patients. And then we're running more comprehensive labs. We want to get to the root pieces of the puzzle from an evidence-based standpoint as definitively as we can know from the lab's vantage point, what's going on here? Why does somebody feel the way that they do? Truly listen to people, truly hear them, truly uh, understand their experiences, and then let's substantiate it with a comprehensive labs so we can get perspectives objectively of what's going on. So whether that be underlying gut issues or toxicity problems or chronic infections, chronic viral issues, chronic biotoxin issues like mold or Lyme and co-infections or uh, or uh, we look at the mental emotional side of trauma and the trauma's impact of triggering inflammatory problems and triggering autoimmune problems and um, nutrient deficiencies or hormonal imbalances, whatever is needed to look at. And that's why it all starts with a comprehensive health history. So that's way we're not, that way we're not flippantly, randomly running all the labs for the sake of it. We're being really discerning and we're wanting to be comprehensive without being excessive with labs. So we can get the proper data without just shooting in the dark. I don't want to shoot in the dark. I want to have as definitive evidence as I can to know why am I running the labs in the first place to give people answers. And then we realize we're all created differently. So it is, um, you could have a hundred people, for example, that have chronic fatigue syndrome. Let's just say they're labeled with CFS. So 
that's first of all just a di- diagnosis of describing how they feel. They're chronically fatigued. Anybody with chronic fatigue syndrome will tell you, yeah, I knew that I was chronically fatigued. So diagnosing somebody like something like that or fibromyalgia or really any other thing like that, it's really not an answer. It's just a description, an ICD-10, a diagnosis code of how they feel. We would ask the question, why do they have to use this chronic fatigue syndrome as an example? Why do they have this problem in the first place? Why are they chronically fatigued? And this analogy that we use is like, it's a check engine light. Check engine lights on on the car. There's a tons of different reasons why a check engine light could be on. So the fatigue, to use that example, is one check engine light, is one, we know something's not right, but what's underneath the hood, proverbially speaking? What's causing the chronic fatigue to be there in the first place? It's not a medication deficiency. So let's find out like what's going on here to see what's underneath the hood. So is it a gut issue? Is it a chronic viral issue? Is it a toxicity issue? Is it a nutrient deficiency? Is it a confluence of those factors, which typically it is? It's a perfect storm of different variables that need to be looked at. So we design tailored protocols and a functional medicine experience for people based off of their labs and their health history. So that's in a nutshell. We use food as medicine. We use natural medicines. We use lifestyle changes. We use medications when needed to really be tailored and holistic to the individual, but in in an evidence-based way. And you you brought up mental health a little bit too. And, you know, I would say that's all related to mental health and, and physical physical health is intertwined. And, you know, sometimes in the conventional healthcare system, I think it gets separated out. Um, but what, what, what's your, your take on the, you know, what is like mental health? Oh, I agree with you fully. I think it's, it's compartmentalized uh, to in, in conventional thinking that it's mental health and physical health. But the reality, as you said, mental health is physical health. It's a brain. Our brain is part of the body. And, the uh, old thought was that the brain was immune privileged, that uh, there was no immune response to the brain, there was no inflammatory problems in the brain. But now we know that's not true. The majority of brain cells are actually glial cells and microglial cells make a big part of that. And that's the brain's immune system. So as inflammation can be going on systemically in the body and it's connected to autoimmune conditions and um, metabolic issues, diabetes, heart disease, cancer, things like that. So too, can there be inflammatory components to mental health issues? So this whole field of research referred to as the cytokine model of cognitive function. Cytokines are pro-inflammatory cells. So it's looking at how inflammation is impacting mental health. How is inflammation impacting how our brains work? And you can measure this, quantify this on labs. We can substantiate this with labs to look at neuroinflammation or brain inflammation um, and things like anxiety and depression and fatigue and brain fog all have evidence in the journals and it's medical journals to have inflammatory components in a lot of cases. So of course, there's this bi-directional relationship between thoughts and emotions and physiology, right? I mean, because our thoughts and emotions impact inflammation levels. So if someone's stressed or in a gone through trauma in a in a unhealthy relationship, a toxic work environment, not getting enough sleep, I mean they whatever, whatever lifestyle thing that's unhealthy uh, from a mental emotional standpoint, that's going to raise inflammation levels up, disrupt the microbiome, throw up the hormones, and cause a cascade of physiological measurable imbalances in the body. But conversely, 
that stuff physiologically will impact your thoughts and emotions, inflammation, hormone imbalances. That's going to make people feel stressed and anxious and depressed and fatigued and all that stuff. So from a functional medicine standpoint, you have to deal with the circumstantial stuff, the lifestyle stuff, and the physiological stuff because they are two sides of the same coin that makes someone feel the way that they do. And when, you know, someone comes to you, you know, say they have trouble sleeping and, and, you know, in the example earlier, you're saying, you know, you might see one symptom, but it's not just, you know, one size, you know, fits all it's what's going on in their, you know, lifestyle. What's maybe what's their, their diet or emotional factors or different components to know, you know, what, maybe what supplement do they need or what maybe kind of alternative therapy they need. Absolutely. No, it should all be considered. It should all be considered. And I think when you look at, I mean, sleep is a good example. It's like so many people have sleep problems and sleep is like seen in many circles and many ways as like this luxury or this thing that's not really given much attention to. They know they should get more sleep, but it's like, we need to have a bigger conversation about something as simple and as everybody does it, sleep uh, that or everybody should be doing it at least, but it's yeah, we should ask the question, and that's another check engine light. Like, why is the check engine light on? Why are they going through sleep issues? Is it something external? Is it something internal? Is it both? Um, that's really driving that's that lack of sleep, whether that's trouble falling asleep or trouble staying asleep or both. Let's talk about it. Um, Because we have to know what we're dealing with to do something about it. And this isn't a luxury. Sleep is not a luxury. It's a mandate on our health. And just one night of poor sleep will spike inflammation levels up. It will spike high sensitivity C-reactive protein, which will drive other types of problems. So, yeah, this is definitely uh, all of these things are important to look at because many people think just because it's their every day, they can equate that with normalcy or they think it's their lot in life or they're, they're able to get through the day and work. They're able to get, take care of their families. They're able to show up to life. It's not a good quality life. It's not a good quality day. They have to push through just to get through the day, but they can push through. Uh, so many people just settle for it because these are silent issues. How many people really talk about this? How many people really even confront this? Most people are just walking zombies uh, in many different ways, whether that be because of some inflammatory problem or fatigue or anxiety or depression. And no one's really doing anything about it because they just get by uh, and they just live with that lack of zest for life because they think that's, that's the only options they have. That's not the only option they have. And I hope that's, that's something that they, they get out of this conversation. Yeah, I, I think the sleep is a really interesting one too. You know, I, I know, you know, when I was working at, you know, like retail pharmacy and, you know, it's common, we, you know, give the medications to help sleep. And, you know, there was maybe a little talk in pharmacy school about some lifestyle things that you could recommend, um, but didn't, you know, really have much time to talk with the patients at the pharmacy to get into that. Right. Um, so what, you know, what things, um, maybe just like in brief for people that have trouble, you know, a lot of people have trouble falling asleep, staying asleep, you know, waking mm-hmm. up in the night. What might be like some other options that that you would recommend? Yeah, well, I would say first, let's do a comprehensive health history and labs to see what's going on Um, and talking to them and really understanding their case. So objectively and subjectively, like listening to them and their their journey and their experience, 
but also looking at labs and seeing measurably what's if there's anything going on that you can catch. And a lot of times you will catch things on labs that can contribute or cause, be at least a component to their sleep issue. Me mentioned earlier, like these confluence of factors, this sort of perfect storm, these are oftentimes multifactorial where it's not just one thing and we have to look at upstream and downstream issues, like what are the more core things, but then because the body is interconnected, a lot of things can happen when one thing's off. Uh, so, for example, well, let's just say that. So we have to look at hormones. We have to look at the gut-brain axis. We have to look at things like sleep apnea. We have to look at blood sugar issues and blood sugar drops and cortisol spikes that can impact people. So looking at the circadian rhythm of the endocrine system and metabolic issues like that can drive sleep apnea, those are, are super common. So they should be understood like what's what's estrogen progesterone what's the thyroid look like what does cortisol look like what does insulin and blood sugar look like and then if it's appropriate doing a sleep study to look at that so that rules out a big chunk of people's like physiological side of things not everybody's going to have a problem there with sleep issues but that should be looked at um and then looking at things that will impact all of those numbers but looking at stress and looking at technology uh and and somebody's uh bandwidth is that like a bad a bad analogy there but so there's someone's like lifestyle bandwidth for stress and the amount of technology they're using or both um, because stressful life event stressful job family issues uh relationship issues trauma from their past will impact the physiology, like I mentioned earlier. So you can measure these things on labs, but then asking question, well, why? Well, why? What's the mechanism? What's the mechanism? Like, what's going on here? These things don't happen in a vacuum. And we have to ask why? What's, let's go as upstream as we can go. So it's cultivating what's commonly referred to as sleep hygiene. So it's sort of just looking at all of these things to clean up your life to be conducive for a restful night's sleep. So that looks different for different people. And you kind of have to meet somebody where they're at because all of these tools are not going to work for everybody. All of these tools will not resonate with everybody. None of these tools will be applicable for everybody. But things like um, essential oils uh, that are can be calming, that there's some solid evidence to show things like elong elong or lavender oil, whether that's diffusing or you're putting it, rubbing it on your chest or um, you know on your temple or on your wrists just to have supportive things that are going to be supportive of a good night's sleep, a good mindfulness or meditation practice in the evening, uh, whether that's being app-based, like Headspace or Calm or something like that, or a guided meditation that you read from a book or a YouTube video, um, other things like binaural beats, which is basically like two different ear um, wavelengths of sound that have been shown to really activate the parasympathetic resting system of the body. Um, and then um, other things I would say is limit technology before bed. So two hours before bed would be ideal um, to decrease the amount of blue light stimulation that you're getting, which is from the screens on our phones and TV and if you can't do that entirely or can't do that every night, then a blue light blocking glasses can be quite restorative for that to block the lights. They're like these amber colored glasses that can block the blue lights from our screens to start to allow melatonin, our sleepy time, 
hormone to start to raise up and cortisol to start coming down. So that uh, inversely proportional relationship between cortisol and melatonin needs to be supported. So cortisol is supposed to be lower in the evening, higher in the morning, and then slower, slower, nice S-shaped curve through at the end of the day. And then serotonin, our happy neurotransmitter, is converted into melatonin. 95% of that is made in the gut and stored in the gut. So looking at gut health is another component to sleep too. But it allows the lower cortisol levels are is the better environment for melatonin to go higher for you to get a proper night's sleep. And tech use, decreasing that or stopping that entirely is a good idea. Um, and then uh, things like weighted blankets can be quite good. Uh, you have to find the right weight for your body, but it's a good it's sort of this like uh, hug in a way for people that are constantly in sympathetic fight or flight mode. It can be quite therapeutic to have a slightly uh, – heavier weight, not heavy weight, but a, a slightly healthy weighted blanket to calm the system down, to shift the body into parasympathetic, resting, digesting, hormonal balanced, immune balanced state. Um, and then some patients that have temperature dysregulation, whether they have hot flashes or they just like air on the little bit of the warmer side, something like a chili pad can be quite helpful to have to regular regulate temperature at night to really I've seen that be very restorative for people that have that are we're dealing with the hormonal imbalances with them, like estrogen and progesterone and testosterone, cortisol levels, thyroid levels. But in the meantime, something like a chili pad can be quite helpful. It's just a pad that that cools them off at night. Um, so those are some ideas. I mean, there are supplements you could do too, like valerian root, chamomile. Uh, they can also be helpful as well. Magnesium. I could go on and on. These are things that I think about with patients a lot. Yeah, that's great. You gave a lot of useful ideas that you know people can do, and you know, like you said, also, you know, see someone like you know you who can look at their labs and you know assess each person's unique situation. Yeah, absolutely, yeah, for sure. Um, interesting. You, you mentioned earlier about a lot of people just kind of walk around day, you know, day after day, almost like zombies, kind of like doing the same thing. You know, not taking that time to be mindful or meditate or kind yeah. of step out of the, the box a little bit. Mm -hmm. And I. It, it reminded me, you know, of the concept of fasting because we're so used to eating, you know, three meals a day, breakfast, lunch, you know, dinner. Sometimes people, you know, have, oh, I have to have my, you know, afternoon snack or, you know, whatever. And then we get so used to being in that, that routine. Um, so I know, you know, for me, I, I like to practice intermittent fasting and, you know, I just noticed personally, like having, you know, more energy, more focus and things like that. Um, so maybe yeah, we can move a little bit into um, fasting, talking a little bit about about that, and you know mm -hmm. the the book that you have, um, you know, coming out, Intuitive Fasting. Yeah, so this book is my favorite book so far, and because it's a tool that I've used in my own life, it's a tool that I use in patients' lives too. But the, as its title implies, intuitive fasting, I want people to get to a place of intuitively knowing what their body loves and what their body hates. So. It's really, I want people to eat intuitively and have intuitive eating be a guiding force for them and just beyond eating and fasting, all that other stuff. I just want them to have a clear intuition in their life because that's a really a place of grace and a place of light, lightness, a place of effortlessness, of ease that they can operate from, whether that's working or loving people or 
loving their families or t- just living. They can be a lot, a lot more still and clear and resolute. Um, so all of those bigger existential things I were using intuitive, flexible, intermittent fasting to gain metabolic flexibility. So physiologically, most people are stuck in this sort of sugar burning state. Their body is blood, their, their body is using sugar as fuel exclusively and they're hangry and irritable and fatigued and they're on this blood sugar roller coaster. That is really a place of a lack of intuition. It is, uh, it is uh, bound by insatiable cravings. It is subject to hangriness. It is uh, metabolical, metabolically being rigid, metabolic inflexibility. The alternative, alternative to that is burning fat for fuel or being fat adapted or keto adapted. And that is like a log on the fire instead of kindling on the fire. Like the sugar burning is like kindling on the fire. It's going to be short-lived. You keep putting kindling all day long to maintain that blaze. But the log on the fire is going to burn for hours. And it's going to be more slow burning, more sustainable. That is being fat adapted. I want people to be able to burn kindling and firewood, burn sugar and burn, burn fat as fuel. Most people are just don't have that option. So through flexible intermittent fasting, you can gain metabolic flexibility and burn both. And that is a major physiological fundamental secret or imperative thing to accomplish to discern what your body loves and what your body hates because what will happen is when you're metabolically inflexible your sugar in sugar burning mode exclusively it's really hard to discern between what's inflammation and what's intuition what's is it intuitive eating or is it stress is it is it intuition or imbalance? Is it intuition or hormonal balance? Is this intuition or hangriness? Those insatiable cravings isn't intuitive eating. You craving junk food isn't your intuition speaking. It's going to actually feed more imbalance and noise in the body. Inflammation is noise proverbially in the body. So emotional eating is not intuitive eating. So I want people to actually ground themselves, center themselves, root themselves in their body so they can actually hear the still small voice of their intuition. So when they get balanced and calm things down, they can actually have that discernment to know what your body loves and what your body doesn't love. So that's fasting is a great tool to do that. And we exponentially can enhance the benefit of intermittent fasting through a clean ketogenic diet or a ketotarian diet is what I call it. So I'm bringing the concept in my first book into this third book because it works really synergistically with uh, intermittent fasting because why they both increase ketones fasting increases ketones the ketogenic increases ketones that's why in many ways a clean ketogenic diet is fasting mimicking it's mimicking a lot of the same benefits of fasting and they're both producing ketones which is known in the research as the fourth macronutrient so we have proteins fats carbs and ketones so beta hydroxybutyrate or bhb is a way to it's a signaling molecule in the body it's the fourth fat macronutrient, fourth fuel source in the body to fuel the brain, to lower inflammation levels, to increase mitochondrial function or brain and just systemic mitochondrial function, actually making new mitochondria, mitochondrial biogenesis. It increases stem cells, increases something called autophagy or cellular recycling, sort of an anti-aging, anti-disease pathway in the body. 
and it shifts the microbiome. It balances the microbiome. So what when you're doing this with intermittent fasting and a clean ketogenic diet, you're gaining metabolic flexibility, but then there's still a time and place for clean kindling on the fire. So we're doing clean carb cycling as well to with things like fruits and rice and, and um, starchy vegetables like sweet potatoes or yams to put that kindling on the fire in a clean way, but it's in balance with your physiology. So it is a great way for people that are that are struggling with different inflammatory problems, that are struggling with weight loss resistance, struggling with fatigue, struggling with brain fog, struggling with autoimmune issues, because we can calm these things down and reset the body. So it's a four-week flexible fasting plan uh, where we do a ketotarian approach as well as clean carb cycling to get metabolic flexibility. I know I talked a long time, but that, all of that stuff is what, we, what I talk about in the book. Yeah, it was great. And I think you really, you know, hit you know, home with a lot of people, you know, some people think, oh, the fasting sounds nice. And you're kind of hearing the benefits of that. But, you know, we're addicted to the sugars and the carbs. And what, you know, what do, tips do you have for people who want to tr try it, but they're, you know, they have that angriness and they're mm -hmm. kind of stuck in that pattern? Well, we, I lean them in very, very easily in the book. So it's a four-week flexible fasting plan. It's self-paced too. So if somebody is more metabolically inflexible, that's okay. I start the book off with a quiz and the quiz is adapted from questions that I ask patients so they can really um, learn about themselves and they can grade themselves again on the quiz, take the quiz again after the four weeks and see how much more they've gained metabolic flexibility. So it's really a cool thing, but it's a, it's a lighter fast and then it goes into deeper fasts progressively over the course of the four weeks and then back out and loosens up. So it's a really easy, I'm setting them up for success because I look at when you talk to patients all day long, you learn how people operate and you've heard just about every excuse under the sun. So, you know, I like normally when people read one of my books, they're like, oh, that's like, I was just thinking of this excuse, but then you mentioned it. So I'm like, I'm, I'm walking along with them and saying like, look, you could do this. And I'm bringing all the variables up that come up. Can women fast? Is fasting good for women? We talk about that. We talk about so many other things that people talk about because we can make this tool work for you. And it's just a matter of taking this tool and using it in a way that works for you. And that's really what it is. It's not saying this is all good or this is all bad. Context matters and it's how you use it more than good or bad. So really the, the four-week fasting approach, this could just be for someone who's never done any fasting before and they want totally. to- Totally. Because they can repeat, we repeat weeks again. So like, let's say week one is a body reset fast. It's a 12-12 time-restricted feeding window. Very simple. So it's eating 12 hours, fasting 12 hours. So you have all day long to eat. That's like 8 a.m. to 8 p.m. You can eat. Because remember, intermittent fasting is not the same as chronic caloric restriction. You're still eating ample amount of foods until satiety, until you're full. Even with the tighter eating windows, you're doing that. So this is a matter of dieting and lowering calories. This is the antithesis of that. This is about getting the food and the nutrients that you need, but in specific windows and being strategic about them. So that's what intermittent fasting is here, especially time-restricted feeding. So that's what we're working on over the course of these four weeks. So we do a body reset fast. Then we go a little bit deeper to a metabolic recharge fast, then a cellular renewal fast, which is the deepest fast. That's an almost OMAD fast, which 
OMAD is an acronym that stands for one meal a day. So it's a 22 to two fasting to eating windows. So basically, let's just say getting your, your calories in between two and 4 p.m. Um, and we have break, break the fast meals. We're making it really easy. Um, we have tons of recipes in the book and meal plans of how to do this. And then they go right back into fasting. So you're doing that every other day, these deeper OMAD fasts, almost OMAD fasts, because um, I'm calling them almost OMAD because you're really getting like two meals in and that, like two smaller meals to make it easier on your gut uh, during those deeper fasts. And that's when we're working on those autophagy pathways, the cellular renewal pathways, stem cell activation, these longevity pathways that are in the research is what's fasting to be really beneficial for, for these deeper ketosis fasts. And then uh, back into week four is a lighter fast. Again, it goes back to the 12-12, but with more rekindling. Uh, it's more, it's the hormonal rebalance week. So we're increasing our clean carbs to bring, bring glycogen levels up, store glucose levels up, and it's the kindling on the fire. But it's that yoga class for your metabolism that you're doing over these four weeks because you're stretching, contracting your metabolism, these vacillating windows of eating and fasting will end in this savasana for your metabolism at the end of yoga class where you're sort of laying down and relaxing because you just did that awesome hot yoga class. That's what week four is, the hormonal rebalance week. That is why I designed it the way that I did because I think it'll be really approachable. But look, some people may want to just stick in week one for like two weeks. Maybe they need that. And I'm walking them through that over these four weeks so they don't have to rush it just because I said this is week one and this is week two. Maybe week one is your week one and week two and just lean into this. I want people to start growing intuition early on. You shouldn't be pushing your body too fast, too soon if your body's telling you no. So we're, I'm bringing up all these checkpoints for people to check in with their body. How's your energy? How's your digestion? How's your sleep? How's your, how are your goals? And if you're pushing too fast, too soon, that's not what I want. Let's lean back, take it easy. And be gentle on yourself because this is not a diet. This is not a program even. This is just integrating feeling great in your life. This is integrating wellness into your life. And uh, I want people to be self-paced because this should be sustainable. Right. And so much of health and wellness, I think, comes down to what you're eating. And a lot of times we're just putting you know, toxic you know, food into our bodies and not letting our mm -hmm. body have a break in indigestion as well absolutely yeah and they're eating they're trying to fast their way out of a poor diet that's really not the, the, the point of this and a clean nutrient-dense diet like ketotarian really um what's the word it's it's very um symbiotic very complementary with intermittent fasting because it's mimicking the fasting but it's also stabilizing blood sugar it's very nourishing, it's very filling. So that way they're not like binging because you don't want an eating disorder disguised as a wellness practice. That's not what we're talking about is like not eating and then like eating tons of junk food. That's not what we're talking about at all. This is really about flexibility, a measured, practical, sustainable approach where you're eating good food strategically and then fasting strategically. That's all. Yeah, and and speaking of like a common cause of disease too is you know we talked a little bit about inflammation, um, or you know I've heard it's the you know mitochondrial dysfunction or cell dysfunction kind of being behind it. Like to, to you know I mean different diseases have different things of course, but as far as when people talk about kind of the root cause of disease or the underlying 
you know, similarity between all of them. Um, what would you say about that? What is true? I mean, inflammation is the commonality between just about every health problem under the sun. So I, I have that deep dive conversation in the inflammation spectrum in my second book. But this book, Intuitive Fasting, is a great way to lower inflammation. Because when you look at the research around just about every inflammatory problem out there, whether that's anxiety, depression, fatigue, autoimmune issues, metabolic issues, blood sugar issues, weight loss resistance, things like PCOS, endometriosis, adenomyosis. I mean, whatever you're talking about here, fasting is a great way to lower these inflammatory cytokines. And real food is a great way to lower these inflammatory cytokines. So when you amalgamate both of them together, they are a powerful duo to, um, and that's what metabolic flexibility is. It's a, a ability of your body to heal and lower inflammation levels. So Paracelsus, the, one of the fathers of medicine, you know, people know about Hippocrates because he's the father of modern medicine and every doctor takes the Hippocratic oath, first do no harm. Um, and he used fasting for his patients. But Paracelsus also did, and he was known as the father of toxicology or the Martin Luther of medicine because he was quite a reformer of his time in the late 1400s in Switzerland. He called fasting the physician within. And I thought that that is really a, a powerful statement to say, like you, if you give your body the chance, you really tap into this physician within, this sort of inner doctor that repairs things, that heals things, that mends things, that recalibrates things, all endogenously, all naturally. Um, and that's really what I want people to unlock. Because it's lying dormant, it's lying dormant, but you can't, un you can't unlock the physician within with metabolic inflexibility. You will only unlock the physician within with metabolic flexibility. And that allows the physician within to rise up, to wake, awaken, maybe awaken for the first time in your life and repair things that need to be repaired to heal things that need to be re re that heal things that, that, that need to be healed. And that's a powerful thing. I've seen that on an hourly basis with patients and I hope the people that get to read the book will have the same experience because I know what the human body can do. The human body is amazingly resilient if we only give it the chance to do so. And that was really interesting also when you're talking about the intuition, like developing with the, the fasting, you know, intuition about mm -hmm. um, eating, but then also beyond that, just kind of in life in general as well. Yeah. Yeah. A time to eat, a time to fast. Mm -hmm. um, it is about balance. It's about, there's a duality in nature. There's a, a, a uh, balance quilted in the cosmos that we're, of which we're a part of. And we've lost awareness that we're a part of nature. So we're using intermittent fasting as this pause. And I think our culture needs a pause like never before. It needs a macro pause and a micro pause. And people are yearning for a pause and they don't even know it. There's an incessant stream of noise. There's an incessant stream of, stream of imbalance and going on externally, but internally as well. Uh, and to quiet the noise, to have this pause and that fasting is this pause for the body to repair. Um, and it's not forever pause. It's a measured pause. But you have the yin and the yang. And I think that we're always doing one and not the other. It's recalibrating. It's recalibrating and reconnecting us to something that humans would have done for a long time. Born out of food availability and the fact that our genetics haven't changed in 10,000 years. But yet 
our world has changed very dramatically in a very short period of time. So it's reconnecting to us with what our genetics would have been adapted to and evolved with. And it is in many ways, even beyond just ancestral health side of things, which is a certain part of why fasting is beneficial, but also from a human uh, like evolution of, of using fasting very intentionally too. I mean, for spiritual reasons. I mean, every faith tradition, every spiritual tradition from Native American indigenous people to, to Judaism and Yom Kippur, Yom Kippur and Tishba'av and Christianity and Lent and Islam and Ramadan and and so many other indigenous people around the world use fasting for spiritual purposes. So in the book, we talk about, I, I mentioned metaphysical meals, like actually using the time of fasting to cultivate acts of stillness into your life, whether that be mindfulness meditation, and I give some ideas or journaling or prayer or getting out in nature and like learning about your relationship with yourself, learning about your relationship with food and how you use food to maybe when you're bored, you eat, or when you're stressed out, you eat, or maybe when you're emotional, you eat, or maybe, maybe you're, you're using food as a crutch in many ways to distract you from something else. So it's learn. It's so much more than metabolic flexibility. It's so much more than just, intermittent fasting to feel great, which is all of those things. It is about really going introspectively and inwardly to learn about yourself. Yeah, I'm, I'm excited to you know read it. I believe it comes out October 23rd. That... Uh, no, February. Or, February. Sorry. <laughs> yeah. Sorry. It's okay. Yeah, February, yeah. February, February 23rd, yeah. 2021. So the beginning... I guess when people, whenever people hear this, it may be out or soon to be out, but February 23rd, but it's on pre-order now. If you're watching, listening to this before February 23rd, 2021. Um, and Gwyneth Paltrow, a really amazing human being in front of mine. She wrote the forward of the book. So it's, she's intuitive fasting too. And uh, the words that she put at the beginning of the book, I think will really speak to people of how we can use this tool to really learn about our intuition and, and rise up as a, as a world to be better versions of ourselves yeah yeah really great time for it to be coming out too with all the noise and the you know stress mm-hmm. or fear like that's going on in the world to kind of take that time of calm and tuning mm-hmm. in also it's great certainly thank you yeah thank thank you um for for being here and um maybe kind of you know switching over just talking about to you you know you a little bit do you you know you're very successful and you know, healthy and, and, you know, I could go on, you know, but it's, as far as, um, and then you're able to help all the, you know, so many people in the way that you do, um, do you have any kind of, um, like tips or like a daily routine or any, anything that, that helps to empower you that helps? Yeah. I think that, that makes sense. Hopefully the gist of what I'm saying. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, look, I mean, I do all the things I talk about in the book. So I intermittent fast every day, but I do it intuitively. And I want people to learn that for themselves to find out what their body loves. And I've done multiple, multiple cycles of the four week flexible fasting plan and, and intuitive fasting. This is just my every day. And it's things I've implemented with patients, obviously, too. So I do intermittent fasting every day. I like intermittent fasting with 
Earl Grey tea. I talk about this in the book, but uh, I typically would have Earl Grey tea or green tea in the morning, but specifically Earl Grey tea. I like it because it has bergamot in it. And bergamot is a citrus from Calabria and Italy. And it's been shown to increase autophagy or that cellular recycling. So fasting, a clean ketogenic diet and bergamot, citrus oil in Earl Grey tea have all been shown to increase autophagy, that cellular recycling, cellular renewal pathway. So that's something that I do. Um, what else do I do? Uh, I, I, you know, I, I, th- I think mindfulness practice is really important. So I think marrying the benefits of intermittent fasting with a mindfulness practice and meditation practice is really important. I try to do forest bathing as much as I can. Shinminyoku, the Japanese term, and I talk about this in the book too, but basically c- connecting yourself with nature going into the going into nature the research is very compelling out of japan and south korea and the benefits of this of lowering cortisol levels lowering stress hormones lowering inflammation levels and being a meditative practice and i posted about i posted about forest bathing on instagram not too long ago but some of the comments i mean most of them are positive but some people were like just call it hiking like you you're the type of person that gives wellness a bad name because you're calling it forest bathing first of all forest bathing is the translation from japanese and it is very apropos as far as being very descriptive of what it is because it's not just hiking americans and westerners don't get it so many times they just think it's just hiking and it's just that's what it is no it's Let's think outside the box. Forest bathing is what it is. It is more than just walking through the woods for your cardio. It is using nature as a meditation and allowing that experience to bathe your awareness and bathe your bathe your awareness. So it's actually very, very good translation into English um, to understand what they're talking about. This is more than just getting through the woods to get through the woods. This is actually using the present moment as a means unto itself um, instead of an obstacle or something to get through. So those are things that I do in my, I mean, I, I don't force bathe on a daily basis, but I do as much as I can. Obviously when I'm consulting patients, I can't do that. That would be fun though. I could walk, get my, my MacBook and go sit outside and that wouldn't be forest bathing per se, but I get outside as much as I can. I force around my clinic and stuff. So when I'm not consulting people online, I can walk around outside. So it's nice. Yeah, very cool. Got to step away from our technology sometimes. Get mm-hmm. outside, certainly, and be more mindful for sure. Yeah. Um, where do you see um, kind of in last question and close? Where do you see kind of the future of our, you know, healthcare? I guess you could call it a healthcare system. You know, going or wh- what would you? I mean, this is probably a long. <laughs> probably talk for an hour on this, right? <laughs> yeah. But I just probably. I think it's just an interesting question because I think we're. At a you know point now where some people are starting to go more into some you know natural or you know functional medicine approaches, and then you know we still have a lot of people kind of in the standard conventional system. And you know, for me, I got my doctor of pharmacy degree, and then I kind of left that traditional practice because I found that that wasn't to me benefiting people in the most optimal way. Um, so, mm-hmm. what would your kind of vision um, be of if you could kind of change the the healthcare system in this country? Well, I, I have high hopes. I really, um, I, I'm an optimist and I want to believe the best in the world. I think that it's not going to be an easy path, but it'll be the necessary path to, for people to wake up and realizing doing the same thing repeatedly and expecting a different result is insanity. And 
it'll either be from pain or proactive transformation that we learn this lesson. It'll be one route or another, and it'll probably look different for different people on a micro and macro level. But I mean, look, I mean, the system at itself is unsustainable. Um, it is bankrupting people. It is bankrupting governments. It is bankrupting economies. The amount of sick care that's going on, it is unsustainable. They can print more money and they can bail things out, but ultimately it's unsustainable. It's a matter of when, not if the system either has to shift out of proactive realization or because it collapses in and of itself. So I guess it's up to us collectively, not individually. It's up to us. Up, uh, it's up to us collectively to decide what we want this to look like. Um, but look, access to healthcare doesn't make a healthy society. Health access to healthcare is needed when it comes to acute trauma and surgeries and things that are life saving from an emergency care system. But access to healthcare, if it's not making people healthy is not going to solve the bigger problem here. Chronic health care really has, you cannot legislate that as much as changing the hearts and minds of people and raising awareness and educating people. So we can do that from the top down. I hope that we do. I hope people have bigger, broader, more meaningful conversations and educating the masses about health care. Um, I don't know. I don't know if that's going to happen or not. I, I, I'm hopeful, but it is remains to be seen uh, because I think there's a lot of special interest and a lot of money involved and by no means a politician understand the intricacies of it, but it's a monolith. And it, there's, and that's why my main focus is not changing the system at large. My main focus is talking to people one-on-one. -on -one and in group settings too, but little by little, that's where you cause a ripple effect. The grassroots changes that can happen then uh, will be, will be, can be a revolution from the ground up. And I think that that democratization of this information has been my calling of really just educating people and empowering people to have agency over their health and not be subject to some monolithic system that's not even designed for their health in the, at the, end, in the end of the day anyways. Yeah, thanks. Thanks for um, sharing. And for the best place to, for people to reach you is that drwillcole.com? Yep, drwillcole.com. That's D-R-W-I-L-L-C-O-L-E.com. We offer free webcam or phone health evaluations. You can get the links to Amazon, Barnes & Noble, Indie Books, to Intuitive Fasting, and, and the other books as well. Uh, and there's tons of free content there as well. Perfect. Yeah. And that's, yeah, people can look for your, um, your book there and, you know, get in contact with you. And I know you have a lot of useful information on your website and we really appreciate, you know, you being here and your empowering message and everything you shared. Um, you. Is, is there anything else you wanted to say in, in close? Or? No, I appreciate you. Thanks for having me. And I hope that uh, people were edified from this conversation. Perfect. Thank you. And thank you to all our listeners. Um, if you haven't, please subscribe to Mindful Empowerment and uh, like this episode. Thanks.